0: In Matthew 12, verse 9, we're going to jump in there. Here's kind of what's going down, is Jesus is cruising around with his disciples. If you remember, Ryan, a few weeks back, he talked about how Jesus was with his disciples are walking, they got um, some wheat, they ate it, the Pharisees were not happy because it was the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, and so here's kind of a part of that scene, what's happening. All right, here we go. It says this. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Okay, now, here's the deal. is The religious leaders are trying to catch Jesus, all right? So you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but there's all these religious rules. According to the law, um, you could only... Perform anything that looked like work if it was an emergency, like someone's gonna die and I need to give them CPR, which I don't think they probably knew back then, but that would be a valid reason. And so it looks like when Jesus is going around and he's healing people, or he's even just grabbing something to eat out of a a wheat field, it looks as if he's working. And so the religious leaders think, all right, we've got him. We have got him working on the Sabbath. And we don't know a whole lot um, as far as like, because we're probably not. Uh, super informed of Old Testament laws, but the deal is, is if you work on the Sabbath, the punishment is going to be death. Seems a little bit much. Some of you guys are like, Pfft, down. I can take a day off. That's not a problem. You're not going to see me violating it, but this is, a, this is the deal, is the religious leaders are all about keeping the law, keeping the rules. And this is interesting to me because if you've been around church for very long, you will quickly realize that religious people are some of the most um, how should I say this uh, without getting fired? Um, okay, religious people can sometimes be the most nitpicky when it comes to rules. So recently I gave a sermon and it was in our main campus and I, I felt pretty good about it. I was like amped on everything and I kind of connected with people and I really feel like God, you know, did something there and And I got this email literally right after service. Like, I think they wrote the email in the parking lot. And it was this long email. And they said how angry they were at me. And the reason why they were angry was because, and I didn't even remember doing this, but I apparently said, you're screwed or something like that. You know, like, you're screwed if you do this. And and they got really fired up. And they said, you know, we're visiting here and we've been trying to check out this church and and we brought our kids. And I, I just couldn't believe that they were hearing profanity from the stage. And I had so many funny responses that I wanted to send to them, but I didn't. And it is interesting because I'm up there, and I am just pouring out my heart. I'm inviting people into a relationship with Jesus. And all they walked away with was, how dare you say screwed? And I wanted to say, you know what? Screw you, all right? <laughs> I wanted to say it in an even more colorful way, but I didn't because they were just missing the point. And that's oftentimes what happens with religious people is we major in the minors. We can miss the point. So Jesus is walking around healing people. Miraculous things are happening. And what do they notice? Not miraculous things that are happening, but that you're breaking the rules. And so uh, right away, we learn something about religion and we learn something about Jesus and how he is confronting the religious leaders of the day. Now, if you're not familiar with what the Sabbath is, you keep hearing me say Sabbath and you're like, what exactly is that? Let me give you a little bit of background information. It is the fourth commandment. So you've probably heard of the Ten Commandments before. It's the fourth one. And it's found in Exodus 20, verse 8, and it says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And so the Sabbath was all about resting. And we're going to talk about where this pattern of rest comes from and why it's important in a moment here. But we want to first see what Jesus has to say about the Sabbath. So it comes from the Old Testament. It's before Jesus. It's all these religious laws. What does Jesus think about the Sabbath? Here's what he says in verse 11. He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, here's what's interesting about what Jesus has to say here. Jesus does not say, you know the Sabbath. It's so ancient. It's antiquated. It's just ridiculous, all these superstitious rules that you religious people have. No, 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 no. He first says, here's the priority. It needs to be people over these, uh, the people need to be the priority. It needs to be rules over a relationship. And oh yeah, by the way, you see how I was able to determine what could and could not happen on the Sabbath? He was establishing his authority. He said, "I'm the one who created the Sabbath, and so therefore, I get to change the rules of the Sabbath if I want to." And in this very moment, he also talks about, and, and I think makes us think back to the creation narrative. And in the creation narrative, we're going to learn that there is a there is a direct relationship between our work and our rest. And so, some of us, when we think about work and our relationship to work, um, we, we all kind of would probably say that we have a different work ethic. So some of us, we cannot find a job, or at least not a job that's any good, right? It seems like we got these degrees, we go out there, we're trying to get into the workforce, we're trying to uh, pursue this career that we thought we were going to have, and it's just not really happening. And so we're not working right now. It's not by choice, it's just not happening. Or some of us are really, really busy uh, becoming great at video games. And so... <laughs> And so we don't work, uh, and we just chill and eat a lot of pizza, and that's kind of a problem. But some of us, uh, we have jobs, and we make it through, and we just, you know, try to figure out, all right, how am I going to make it through my next shift, and how am I I really going to get to do what I want to do? And then there's others of us who are doing what we think we're supposed to do, and yet we are workaholics, like we can't stop working. It is always on our mind. We are always doing it, whether we're at the office or not. And the scripture is really clear about how we should begin to think about work and rest. First thing that we have to realize is that God gave us work, and it's a really good thing. And so in Genesis 2.15, it says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to take care of it. Skip skipped down, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to man to see what he would name them. And so we see the creation of man, and then the man is put in the garden, and then he is given work to do. Right off the bat, we are made in God's image, and God is a God who creates, who, who moves, who progresses, and so we, made in his image, are supposed to do the same. Our God gets to work, and so we're supposed to get to work. And so in the first chapter of Genesis, we see God's hands. He's working in the dirt. He's creating. He's being creative. And then he asks us to partner with him in his creation and what he's doing. He says, look, I'm at work. Look what I'm doing. And so I want you to partake in the same thing that I'm doing. I want you to be a worker just like I am. Go out and tend to the garden. Start naming the animals. And this allows us to have great dignity in our work because we are created by a God who works And asks us to partner with him, and it's kind of interesting when you look at this Genesis account and what kind of work they were doing. Is God initially creates all these raw materials, and from these raw materials, He arranges them so that there can be a benefit to everyone. He asks us to do the same thing. He says, "You need to go and take the raw materials that I have provided, be creative, and create something that benefits everyone." And so this could be anything from taking the raw material of music and putting it into some kind of pattern and forming it so that it can speak to people and it can speak to their heart and it can transform them. It could be things like construction. That seems pretty obvious. We take the raw materials that are provided from the earth, we form them, we make them, and we build houses and buildings and furniture and beautiful things that people can uh, enjoy. This is even taking numbers and arranging them and putting them in certain places and making sense of them so that people can continue to work and we can continue to progress, all of these things are raw materials that God has given us and then we are able to use in order to help, uh, help human flourishing. And so at the end of the day, when we think about work, we should think of it as a partnership between us and God in which he has given us the raw materials and he has given us the charge to go out and to do what he has done to bring some kind of flourishing into the world. The Bible's also clear that if you're not willing to work, uh, in 2 Thessalonians 3:10 it says this, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Okay, so we're supposed to work, and if we don't work, we're going to be very hungry, right? And so work, when it comes to the Bible and it describes work, it's a really good thing. But at the same time, when you understand biblical work, you have to immediately understand what biblical rest is. So in Exodus 20, right after this commandment, um, it says this, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so we are supposed to follow this pattern of we're supposed to create for six days, and then we're supposed to rest on the seventh day. Now immediately you want to ask the question, why would God rest was he tired? Was he kind of hangry? What was going on? You know, he had a rough week and he's just like, I can't do it anymore. No, 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 of course not, right? Because he wants to set a pattern for us. But we also see um, what God considers rest by this pattern. After every single step of his creation, he says, that's really good. Like, I did, a, I did a pretty excellent job on this, you know? And he kind of gives himself a pat on the back. goes, well, good, good job, me. And then at the end of it, he says, you know what? It's all good. I'm satisfied in what I have accomplished. And so the biblical definition is to be satisfied with what what you have done or what has been done. And so I think that this is why many of us um, feel relaxed after a hard day's worth of work. So a, a while back, Ryan and I were discussing, when is the place that you felt the most relaxed? Like you just feel at peace. And what's interesting is it's not necessarily when I'm at the spa Yes, I got like going to the spa. Um, it's not getting a manny and pedi, sometimes. Uh, if I think about the times in which I felt the most at rest, like when I felt at peace, it almost always had to do with a day of manual labor and work, which I got to work really hard, I got to accomplish something, and then at the end of the day, I got to take a shower, eat a big dinner, and just chill. And what's weird is... You would not think, like, rest, you would think it's just doing nothing. But no, rest is accomplishing something, and then at the end, observing what you did and then going, ah, I'm satisfied in what I got to do today. That's when I feel the most rested. That's when I feel the most at peace. The problem is most of us very, very rarely get to feel this kind of rest, this kind of, this kind of peace, this kind of relaxation. I would say, for the most part, and this is true of me, is I feel restless, You may have difficulty sleeping. You may feel like it's difficult for you to unwind or just relax. And so here's a confession of mine. Whenever we go on vacation, we try to schedule our vacations at least two weeks because here's what happens every single time we go on vacation. The first week is me trying to just like unwind. Like my whole life is like this and it's just me going, okay, I can let go. No, it's cool. I can let go. I can let go. And you know what happens almost every first week of my vacation? I get physically sick. Why? Because I'm in withdrawal. I'm a workaholic. And so when I have to withdraw from work, I literally get physically sick. It's as if my body is starting to just like let go a little bit. And as it does, my immunity breaks down. It's, this, it's a weird thing. And it doesn't just happen to me. It happens to lots of people that I know that just work and work and work. When they stop working, they just go, ah. Uh. And then weird things start to happen. And so some of us, we're super stressed out. We think about our job or the lack of a job, or our relationships, our health, our schoolwork, and we have so much that we have to get done. Our checklist, our laundry list of things is just never ending and it just seems to continue. I I sometimes just get overwhelmed where, I don't know if you feel this or not, but I have so many things to do, I just, I just fall asleep. You know, <laughs> like I'm just, ah, there's so many things I need to get done, so I'm gonna do nothing. <laughs> you know, just, or I just go eat a double-double. It's one of those two or both. And it's because the laundry list is just continuing to pile up. Roughly 90 million Americans suffer from some sort of sleep deprivation or insomnia every single night. See, we are a people that are restless, and the reason why we're restless is because we're not satisfied with what has been done. When we look at our work, at the end of the day, the grades are never good enough, There wasn't ever enough money. It wasn't where I want to be in life. I haven't accomplished enough. I haven't achieved enough. And so what we do is as we observe our lives and we realize it's just not there, we're not satisfied in it, we say, I need to work harder. I need to be more committed. I need to put more time in there, more effort, more focus. And what ends up happening is we look at this in every single season of our life. We continue to look at it and go, I'm not satisfied yet. I'm not satisfied yet. I'm not satisfied yet. So we're going to go harder and we're going to go faster and we're going to be stronger. And we end up being consumed by our work. We climb a mountain and realize there's another mountain to climb. We look at that car that we got and it has worn off and we're just not excited about it anymore and so we need the next car. We need the next house. We have to be in the next relationship. We have to be around this type of person. It just continues to move forward and forward and the goalpost where we thought it was, once we get there we realize, no, 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 it's actually a little bit further down the road. And so this is the human dilemma. The human dilemma is our souls are longing to be satisfied and yet there's nothing in this world that can do it. There's no amount of money, there's no relationship, no success, no amount of achievements that allows ourselves at a soul level to sit back and say, I am totally satisfied now. I can rest. And I think the example for this, and I've used this uh, over the years a lot, is, and it came from our high school pastor, Travis. He said, there's never been a kiss in which you say, that was it. I'm totally satisfied now. That was the kiss to end all kisses, I never need a kiss again. No, because you even have, if it's the best kiss of your life, you go, I need another one. I need another one. And that's, all, that's what marriage is about, right? And then you have three kids and it's great. But <laughs> that was not from a kiss though. I can explain it later. Um, <laughs> because there's nothing that is the ultimate. We're looking for the silver bullet. We're looking for the end all be all and it's just not there all of us are looking for a soul level rest. And if you know anything about rest, and you probably all know this, is there's this thing called REM sleep. Are you familiar with this? It's like rapid eye movement. And it's this really deep sleep that you get into. And it's when you enter into this REM sleep is where you find the most rest. And so it's really not even about the the quantity of, or the, the quantity of sleep that you have. It's really about the quality of sleep that you have. And so a few years back, um, I was sleeping all the time. Like, I could take a nap anywhere. My grandpa and I could fall asleep if the conversation was, like, at a lull, okay? If we're talking and there's more than 30-second pause, we're out, you know, because we could just sleep anywhere. And so I thought, oh, my gosh, I've got sleep apnea. And if you know what sleep apnea is, it's one of those things where you can't breathe and and so your body wakes itself up enough so you can breathe and then you try to fall back asleep and you have to wear this crazy mask and whatever. And so I thought, oh, my gosh, I have sleep apnea. My dad has it. I'm kind of chubby, so that's probably what it is. And so... I go to a sleep doctor, and they do all these tests, and they hook me up to all these monitors and all this kind of stuff, and they're trying to figure out, why can I not enter into this REM sleep in which I wake up and I feel refreshed? Because I could sleep for 10 hours and still be exhausted the next day. Why can't I find the sleep that I'm looking for? And some of us, that's the question that we're still asking is, we do all the things that we think are going to bring us sleep. We think that we're getting rest, but yet there's something underlying that we just can't find that soul level rest, right? We take enough time, we go on vacations, we go on hikes, we go and do nature stuff, whatever that is. You know, we're, we're trying to live a life in which we're finding rest, and yet at the end of the day, we can't find the rest that we're looking for, because what we're looking for is an REM rest for our souls, in which we can not just find the quantity of rest, but there's a quality of rest that we're just not able to grasp. Jesus says in verse 13, he says this, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So what Jesus does in this moment is a few things. One, he restores this man's hand. And this restoration is actually just a symbol of what Jesus came to do ultimately. See, Jesus came, and I talked about it at main campus this morning, is Jesus came to bring in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is where everything that God wants, everything that he wills, happens. All the people, they bow and they submit to him because they love him, because they know that he knows what's best and they trust in him. And so what he does is he's going to bring restoration to all things in the kingdom of God. And so what he does here is just a little bit of work of what the uh, signpost of what is is going to happen, in which all the things that are broken will be made right. And so he's bringing this kingdom of God to the earth, but he's also doing something else. Not only is he restoring what's physically broken, but what is spiritually broken. And so he brings restoration to this man's hand, but he's ultimately bringing restoration to the world and restoration to the Sabbath. Because what Jesus does is he comes and he addresses the real reason why we can't rest. He says that there is something that's happening beneath the work, there's something happening at a soul level, and that's why you can never find the satisfaction and rest that you ultimately want. Um, I talked about this a few weeks ago. It's been something that I've just been really thinking about and contemplating and struggling with in my own life is this desire to find peace and relaxation and yet not being able to find it. And the reason is because there is something deeper than just a vacation that I need. The reason why I can't find rest and you can't find rest is because there is this lingering feeling that we're just not enough that we can't accomplish enough, that we don't look good enough, that we don't have enough friends or they don't think the right things about us, that there is this inadequacy within all of us in which we are continuing to try to prove that we are enough, that we are enough, that we are worthy, that we are special, that we're not just a nobody, we are a someone. We all do this. Kids are the best at this, though. I love kids because kids do exactly what we do, but they just don't try to hide it. Kids do the, like my daughter is... Oh, she is a handful. Today we we're driving in the car uh, here, and she had one of uh, she got one of uh, mom's old cell phones that we don't use that doesn't hooked up or anything anymore, but she can still get Wi-Fi um, to watch uh, YouTube Kids. And she brought it in the car, and it was so funny. We're driving home, and she is doing a video of herself, a vlog, and when she goes, "Hey, guys," she's four hey guys, it's Sienna. Um, Please subscribe to my channel. By the way, I'm really cool. Love you. Bye. I went, uh, excuse me? (laughs) Like, you're four. (laughs) This is, you're not, what? Does she have a vlog? Do I not know about this? What is happening right now? And why? What what compels her? Why does she want to have this YouTube channel? What is it about her? It's the same thing why she came out a couple nights ago and she had a full on prom dress on with lipstick and she went, how do I look (laughs) with that pose and everything. And what is she trying to do in that moment? She's trying to get me to say, babe, you look beautiful. You are so fun. Oh my goodness. Yes, I would love to subscribe to your channel. Why? Because you're awesome. You are the best. See, she's doing what we all do is we're trying to prove that we are someone that we're worthy, that we are special. And that's how most of us end up living our lives, is trying to earn and prove to ourselves, to God, to everybody else, to this voice that's in the back of our heads that, you know what, no, 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 I am special. I am so, I'm not just another person, I'm somebody special. See, this looks different for everybody. For my daughter, it's an uh, a invisible or imaginary YouTube channel. For you, it might be something else. For them, it was following religious rules, the Pharisees. For us, it could be having a picture-perfect life in which you look at Instagram, and if you were to look at your Instagram page, or what's, what is it, Snapchat? Is that what they do these kids these days? Snapchat? <laughs> Snapchat? Those kids. Uh, that you, you have the picture, literally the picture-perfect life. And that's what makes you feel valuable is when you get so many likes or you get some, what are they, hearts on Instagram? I don't even know what the crap this is anymore, but, or comments or, and here's how I know that this is a big deal to you. Here's how I know this is a big deal is because you will, one, spend an insane amount of time trying to get that perfect shot, right? And then having like the good filter and all that stuff. And then if you wait five, 10 minutes and it doesn't get enough likes, that picture's out, right? That is out of here. That's embarrassing. That makes you have a bad day. And it's because it's this is how we earn our worth and our values by what people think of us. Or maybe it's something different. Maybe it's uh, the, the, your career. It's how much you can succeed. Maybe it's your grades. Maybe it's whatever school you got into or grad school you're gonna go to or whatever, who you associate with, what people think of when they look at you. There's a million different ways that we try to do it. But at the end of the day, it's all about trying to earn and prove are worth. For me, and I share this pretty openly with you guys, is as a pastor, the thing that I continue to fight in my own life is um, how I am performing as a pastor. So like, did enough people show up? So tonight, I feel horrible about myself, right? Why? It's a three-day weekend. No one wants to come, which means I'm horrible, which means I'm a nobody, which means I should quit because I'm not valuable. God help me, right? This This is the track that we go down. And yet, I can't do that anymore. I can't be on that roller coaster. Because there is something in me that says I have to earn and I have to prove. And the thing that is in me, by the way, is that I know who I should be and so do you. You know who you should be. You know what kind of person you should be. There is this law written on your hearts and whether you believe in God or not, it's there. And you have this standard in which you say, this is who I should be. I should be generous and I should be loving and compassionate and yet the person that I actually am falls short of that because I'm not as loving as I should be. I'm not that compassionate. I have all these shortcomings, and if people knew who I really was, man, they would be disappointed in me. And so we know who we should be, and yet we're not. And so we are constantly feeling inadequate. We're constantly feeling like we're not enough, like we have to prove ourselves that we have to become better. See, Jesus comes along and he says, the reason why you're so restless is because you have spent your entire life trying to prove that you are worthy. And you've been doing it wrong. You've been doing it wrong this whole time. You've been trying to rest based on what you have done. And every step of the way, you can never get enough to be able to rest. But Jesus came in order to give us rest based on what he has done, not based on what we can do. And that's really the heart of the gospel. I've used this example before, but I think it, 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 is, uh, it bears repeating. Is the thing that gives us value and worth in life is not what we do. And so I've used this example, is uh, take a, an iPhone for example. Your iPhone is worth, uh, how much can you pay for this iPhone? Too much, too much, how much? 12, $13, something like that, okay, it's worth a lot. <laughs> and the thing that makes this valuable um, is what you and I are willing to pay for it, right? Because my daughter, like I said, she has an iPhone now. It's, I think it's a second or third generation iPhone, it's got a crack on it, and you know how much it's worth now? nothing. Why? Because no one wants it. It's a piece of crap. Uh, that's also in the email. Crap. You're not supposed to say that, but... <laughs> and sucks. Don't say that either. I'm going to... You know what? I should just open up my next sermon with, hey, um, so I know that like I've offended some people with some uh, profanity, and so I just want to make sure that I've got a list of all the words I'm not supposed to say. Uh, crap. I'm not supposed to say crap. Uh, you're screwed or screw you. Also not allowed. Uh, Anyway, we'll see how that goes next time. Anyway. Too bad, bro. Are would be crazy. Sick. Where was I? What was I talking about? Where are we? Anyway. All right. <laughs> it's been a long day. I'm done. I am. And amen. Bless you. Have a great week. Uh, No, okay, really quick. We're going to finish. Woo! Lord be with us. All right. um, What he's done, that's right, that's right. That's where we are, the gospel. Okay. The reason why you and I are valuable is because God has deemed us valuable based on what he is willing to pay for us. See, we're willing to pay a certain amount, and that's what brings the value to the phone. But the thing that brings value to us is not a performance. It's not how we look. It's not who we're friends with. The only thing that brings us value is what... Someone is willing to pay for us. And Jesus answered that question on the cross, that he is willing to pay the infinite price, his life, for us. And so now that's what makes us valuable. It's not a trusting in what we've done or what, even worrying about the bad things that we've done. It's all about what he has done on our behalf. And so let me get to this really practical part. Is I wanna give you, um, now that we have a foundation, a starting point for how we can enter into this soul-level rest, I want to give you just some really practical things. One is you have to have a change in mindset. You must see the Sabbath as an act of liberation. And so if you look at where this commandment takes place in the scriptures in Exodus 20, it's the Ten Commandments, but you know how the Ten Commandments open up? Here's what it says. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then it goes to list the Ten Commandments. Isn't that really a weird way to open up a a set of Ten Commandments, of rules? See, what it's saying here is, you know, slaves, they didn't have the day off. They had to work every single day. And so if you can't take the day off, you're a slave. You are a slave to your own ambition, to your pride, to people's expectations, to your own insecurities. If you can't just take a day off and rest, then you have become a slave to your work. You have to say to your heart every single day, this is an act of liberation, me doing nothing right now. Me sitting here in silence, me not going to work today, me not answering emails or turning my phone off, this is an act of liberation, me declaring that I am no longer a slave because I will not find my identity and my worth in what I do. It's also an act of trust. When you are able to stop and rest, it tells your heart and it tells the rest of the world that you are not God. See, it's hilarious. So many of us believe that the world spins because we're at work, because we have things to do, that we have to accomplish stuff. But the craziest thing is, not only does the world not stop spinning, but your world will continue on if you just take some rest. If you take the day off, you are telling yourself and you're telling the rest of the world that you trust in God and that he will take care of it. It's not up to you. That you're not in charge of your universe and that he is the one who ultimately is in charge. I think there's some practical steps, too, is one, uh, take more Sabbath time. Yeah, that's about it. Okay, that's the number one. Okay, uh, take some more time off. Relax a little bit. I challenge, I, I get to meet with some, uh, some successful business guys, and man, these guys are so wound up and so just like, oh, and you could just see it in their disposition and the way that they carry themselves. Is they are just so wound up because they have so many things going on, and I will challenge them all the time, turn your cell phone off for the rest of the day. Don't answer any emails. I want you to just go home and relax a little bit. And they just go, what? I can't do that. How would everyone else survive? And it's like, dude, you're not in control. You need to take some more time off. Second is this, is balance your Sabbath time. Um, and I, I got to be honest with you, I'm so bad at this, is balancing. I, I'm bad at taking the Sabbath. I feel guilty when I take a day off. That's how much of a workaholic I am. But we got to learn to balance our days off, our, our Sabbath time. So different things, mix it up, get out in nature. So go fish. Any anyone fish out here? Does anyone fish? Or, yeah, okay, yeah, all right, all right, fisher, fish, fishermen. <laughs> I don't think that's it. Uh, get out in nature, surf, hike, enjoy God's creation, be contemplative, think deeply about things. We are in an age in which we try to be as shallow as possible for as long as possible. Break the trend. Sit there and think about the big questions of life, of who you are, who God is, why that's important, and simply be inactive. In the Old Testament, it wasn't that um, just people were commanded to take time off. They actually did the same thing with the land, that on the seventh year, they would just let the land go. They wouldn't put, plant any crops. They wouldn't have any harvest. They would just let the land uh, be inactive for a year. And that's really important for us as well is we have to let ourselves be inactive. We have to recharge. We have to just sit in silence for a while and just be okay. Third is be accountable for Sabbath time. Because one of the things I've realized is um, Sabbath is not necessarily going to be consistent throughout your entire life. And so right now you might be in a season in which this, your Sabbath time can be regular and you can make sure that you're doing it every week and that you're able to, be, uh, you're able to mix it up and you're able to make sure it's a priority, but then there's going to be other times in your life in which it's going to be chaos, one of which is becoming a parent. When you become a parent, you will have absolutely no time to yourself. It's going to be chaos all the time, constantly. And yet you have to be accountable to someone that says, you know what, this season of my life, I can't... I can't be as, as, as consistent with my Sabbath time, but I'm putting a hard date on this. That This is only going to last two years. This is only going to last three years. This is only going to be a little bit. And by the end of this date, I need someone to keep me accountable to make sure that I make Sabbath a priority in my life. And then fourth is put some Sabbath time into your work. And so the way that this looks is, some of us, when we hear this, we go, okay, especially those of us who are workaholics, we go, okay, I'm going to work, I'm going to work, I'm going to work, like, I'm just going to exhaust myself, and then once I have a breakdown, then I'll be able to Sabbath, all right? I'm going to take like two weeks off, uh, after my mental breakdown is done, I kind of recoup a little bit, then we'll get back. No, 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 the Sabbath has to be integrated into your schedule, regularly, regularly not just on a a weekly basis, but on a daily basis, in which you say, okay, I have to set parameters in my life so that I don't overwork, so that I don't overcommit, so that I'm not constantly moving and on the go. And so for me, my wife is really good at this because she sets the parameters for me. She says, and this happened um, as soon as we started having kids, she said, you have to be home by 5.30 every single day. No ifs, ands, or buts, you're home by 5.30, and so she set the parameters for me, because she knows that I need to rest. I can't work all day, every day. Before we had kids, I would work until like two in the morning because I'm constantly okay, let's go. let's go. Let's go." And she said, "No, no, no, we can't do that. We can't live like that. And so you have to set parameters on a daily basis as well. My favorite saying is this is, uh, "Do your best and take a nap. <laughs> do your best and take a nap. And that's really one of my mottos for life is I am going to try my hardest. I'm going to do everything I can within my power and within reason. And then at the end of it, I'm just going to let God figure it out. I'm going to do my best and I'm going to take a nap. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for naps. And thank you for relaxation and peace, especially the soul level peace in which you offer us. And so, Lord God, as we, uh, many of us have a three-day weekend and we get to sleep in tomorrow, we would pray that um, you would bring not just rest, physical rest, but spiritual rest, that we would be okay with whatever is happening in our life because ultimately we know that you are in control, and so we are able to just sit and be okay. And so, Lord God, I thank you for everyone that's here tonight. I thank you for their commitment, for their love for, for each other and for you, and I just pray that you would bless us and honor that. Let me pray. Amen.